Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of the Rainmaker Revolution podcast. I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, As I mentioned last uh, time, last podcast, uh, we're kicking the year off with some of the um, people that I admire, that I look at, and think that they just have really good businesses uh, and have something to offer the rest of the group. So real excited about this. Before we get started, uh, I'm going to do my little little, disclaimer or compliance uh, statement here, and that is please do not be a knucklehead. Uh, If you hear something that, um, you know, just because you hear myself or our guest uh, that's doing something in their marketplace, it still means you need to run it by your own compliance people, Um, whoever that may be. um, Something that works for us might not be appropriate for you and and vice versa. So um, nothing we say here is a recommendation of exactly how to conduct a sales meeting or any front-facing marketing-type materials. You are responsible for your own compliance. Please do not come back to me or our guest um, or Advisors Excel or anybody else um, with, a, with a problem. Please, please do your own due diligence. With that said and out of the way, uh, I'm real excited to have with me on this podcast Matt Dickin. Uh, Matt, many of you know, he did an awesome journey a little while back. In fact, that was the first time I really uh, got to see who Matt Dickin was, was when I went to his journey that he did. And uh, I tell you, you know, I go to journeys and sometimes I'll go to a journey and go, wow, there's that, that person is the real deal. They've got a great business. Um, in Matt's case, it was this marketing machine that just really attracted me and the way they kept their numbers and so on. And other times I'll go to journeys and go, boy, I don't know if I can use anything there. And um, Matt was definitely uh, a guy that uh, when I looked at his business, um, we came back and just got so many great ideas from that. And again, it impressed me that um, not only was he a great marketer and had marketing people around him, but he knew his numbers. He was testing and changing things and verifying the numbers and so on. And that's what becoming a mature business is all about. So um, then the other time I got to know Matt a little bit was in Italy on the elite trip. And my son and I were in Italy and we show up to drive these cars and he has specially designed driving shoes. And uh, I was, I was uh, quite impressed and excited um, by that. So with that said, Matt, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Joel. Thanks a lot for having me uh, on the podcast. Uh, hopefully it's a good one. Everybody listening can learn some things. So let's start out by um, tell us who is Matt Dickin? Who is Matt Dickin as a person, as a professional? Um, who are you? Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, I, I have two real passions. Uh, you know, obviously the business is something that I've always really enjoyed, Joel. I uh, got a really early start in it. Uh, started in the industry when I was just 18. And uh, this year will be basically my 19th year in practice. I don't really consider what we do work. I think it's a lot of fun. You know, as, as, as business owners, we might not enjoy every single day, but, uh, you know, I enjoy the, the vast majority of them. So just really enjoy helping people, whether it's our clients or, or other advisors on these types of podcasts. And then, uh, you know, we're talking a little bit about the elite trip there. In uh, Italy, you know, probably my second passion is, is cars uh, and all things cars. I, I love to drive them, collect them, race them, you know, anything to do with them. But uh, obviously my number one passion and priority is, is the business. Great. So go back and, and tell us, 
kind of where you were five years from now, if you, or five years back, if you could kind of tell us what the business looked like. Here we are at the beginning of 2016, so you know maybe end of 2010, beginning of 2011. What did your business look like from a um, from a staffing standpoint, from a product strategy type of standpoint, uh, challenges that you were facing at the time, kind of your mindset back at that time, and then what we want to do is you know, dig into that a little bit where you were five years ago and then and then contrast that to where you are now. But let's key on the five years ago right yeah, now. Yeah, I think if we look back about five years, uh, I think production-wise we were probably somewhere in that $20 million to $25 million range between both annuity and uh, managed money. Um, back then I was, I was really trying to figure out the managed money side of things. I'd, I'd been uh, more... Uh, just selling mutual funds and, you know, Series 6 and, and 63 license. And I believe it was around 2009, 2010, something like that, that, that I did uh, give up the broker-dealer route and uh, became an RIA and, and an IAR of the RIA when I got my Series 65 and started to try and figure out the whole managed money route. And it was right around that time that I kind of found that the more managed money we would do, the more annuity production we would do. So I thought I certainly thought that that was uh, pretty interesting, and, and I think if we look at us five years ago, uh, like you said, Joel, I think the journey was done maybe three years ago at this point. It, it goes by fast. Uh, we were very much just a marketing organization, kind of a marketing machine, because we were just trying to get as many leads in as we could and help as many people as we could, and that's where we probably had more employees was in the, the marketing department than really where we had anywhere else. So. I was a single advisor. I was the only licensed advisor in the office. I was doing all of the seminars. I think probably five years ago was when we had a radio show. So we, we had radio and seminars going and then uh, working with existing clients. Those were really our, our main marketing funnels. So, And about how many staff people did you have five years ago? Um, I would probably, I'd, I'd have to look it up to be for sure, but I would, I would maybe put it somewhere around five or six. Um, okay. Some, so five or six staff probably a guess if you're bringing in 20 million of assets you're doing about 800 to 1.2 million of revenue somewhere in that range yeah that that sounds about right okay yep. when did you add tv because I, I i was trying to remember before we got on the call here um when exactly you added tv and and talk about the evolution to do that because my understanding now is have you dropped radio and you're just doing the tv show Correct. Here, here in Louisville, uh, unless you're on really the one main AM station, it, it's almost pointless to do radio. We, we had launched the radio show simply from a credibility standpoint uh, to try and differentiate ourselves from the competition, and uh, we didn't generate a ton of leads. But, but what the radio show did do for us is it increased our exposure and our credibility. So because of the radio show, I was invited on the news quite a few times. Um, to be interviewed during different things that were happening in the economy. And as a result of those interviews, uh, I was then invited to be on a local show that we have here, kind of like a local variety show that runs Monday through Friday in the mornings from, from 9 to 10 on one of the stations. And uh, I had a guest appearance on that quite a few times. And, and because of that, then the station invited us to take on a slot that had opened on Sunday mornings on the local ABC affiliate with a, uh, a full 30-minute TV show. Um, so that's kind of how I gained that opportunity was, was the appearances as, as guest spots on some of the other shows. When we launched the TV show, we pretty much 
pretty quickly learned that it was much better than the radio show, so we did end up dropping the radio. So I think we've been running the TV show for about three years. Um, I always like to point out to individuals, though, Joe, we, we didn't just jump directly into having a show. I think we had a uh, TV commercial commitment that we did for about 12 months. So we were running TV commercials, little 30-second spots all over cable, and uh, obviously when we were launching the show, we switched those commercials to be a, a promotion for the show. So so before we had our 30-minute uh, weekly gig, we were already pretty heavy on TV with the commercials that we were running. Great. And by the way, for those of you listening, that uh, you, know, you can see my TV segments if you just click on Joel Johnson Channel 3. And I know Matt's are available because I was watching Matt's the other day. Um, and even got some tips uh, on his show. His, his whole show is online there. Um, just click, you know, Google Matt Dick and TV, and it pops up. And so um, now you were doing these segments. Did you need a – did you use a PR firm, Matt, to, to originally start showing up on the news when they would ask questions about what's going on in the market or tax tips or things like that? Did you have a PR yeah. firm that got you on? That, that, that's kind of how it got started. Um, I did hire a PR firm uh, to let all the reporters know here locally that we were available. Um, and, and, you know, that may have gotten us a couple of spots. It wasn't a program that I continued uh, with that PR firm for very long. Um, I just didn't think it was as, as effective as it could be. But uh, they, they got us a few things. It was really, uh, I think, one or two of the reporters coming across our radio show is uh, how we kind of started getting invited to come in on the evening news and things like that is because a, a couple of reporters listened to the radio show. So going back to this five years ago theme, so five years ago you, you were not doing TV. That's really more of a new thing over the last three years. Or, or you, excuse me, you weren't doing a TV show five years ago. Is that correct? No, no, no TV show five years ago, right. Okay. I was doing now, radio, but, but no TV. And of your lead flow... Um, now, so you've been on TV for three years. Obviously, there's a learning curve. Um, you know, it's interesting, at least what I've noticed is when you start getting good, you start getting really good. But you, I certainly wasn't great right out of the box. So I, I assume that you weren't as good as you are today out of the box. But if we look at the TV show today versus I know you're still doing seminars – of your new appointment flow, Matt, what percentage of new appointments do you think come from TV versus seminars? To just the actual appointments, not necessarily the revenues. Yeah, you know, I, I think, Joel, um, you know, obviously they both complement each other, um, which is great. They both feed each other. I, I would still say by far seminars are our biggest lead generating source. Uh, I would probably put it at maybe 50 to 60 percent of the appointments are still being set through the seminars. Uh, but it's sometimes a little hard to track because we promote the seminars on the TV show. So we have a lot of individuals that watch TV for several months or more than a year and then finally respond to one of the invites in the mail or maybe, you know, the commercial that we run in the TV show promoting the seminars. And then they come to one seminar and then come into the office. And so we have a way through our CRM system uh, that we use, which is Salesforce, where we can kind of track the primary lead source as well as what we call influencers. So we can see, you know, TV obviously influenced uh, the client and convinced them to come to a seminar, but they ended up booking the appointment at the seminar. Well, really both marketing funnels deserve a little credit for that, uh, but I think probably, you know, 50 to 60% are still being booked as a result of having attended a seminar. 
Well, thanks for that idea because we were just talking about this in, in our marketing meeting yesterday. You know, we look at a new client and we say, well, where did they come from? Well, they came to a workshop, but wait a minute, a year ago, they asked for a free report off of the TV show. And, and so the TV show is the influencer there. And, and that's interesting because as we build out, you know, and I'm sure you just mentioned this, Matt, you know, you'll have somebody come to a workshop and they would not be at that workshop if they had not been introduced to you through some other medium, whether it be radio right. or TV or charitable work or something else. And I love the idea of tracking that. I had never, as sophisticated as a um, record-keeping system we have here, I had never, it had never occurred to me to track, in addition to the primary lead source, um, the influencing lead source. And uh, thanks for that. That's a great, uh, that's a great tip. Yep, yep, no problem. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you, you said you started doing mutual funds, you were doing mutual funds way back when, and then you, uh, you switched over to money management. How are you doing money managers without getting too, how are you doing money management without getting too specific here? But are you, are you managing your own models? Do you use a third party asset manager? Um, what are you doing as far as that goes? Yeah. So, so when we, when we first started, uh, several years back, it was all third party money managers, um, you know, so we've, we've had a couple of different ones that we've used, uh, some lower risk and some kind of moderate risk. Obviously, we don't really ever get into anything high risk. Uh, I think one of the things that really contributed to some of the growth that we saw last year, though, is we did launch a couple of our own portfolios that we're managing in-house now. Uh, we just weren't 100% pleased with the performance and you know some of the other options that we were seeing that are available out there. Um, so I decided uh, that we needed to, to try and bring it in-house, and uh, so we launched those and had a lot of success with them. The performance was good from when we launched them to the end of the year, uh, in a tough year uh, last year. So that's going to really be our primary fo- focus moving forward, is to continue to promote and work with our own in-house uh, portfolios. And who is doing the actual choosing of the funds or ETFs or individual securities? Yeah, you know, so so we have different uh, portfolios that that I've built, and then I've got one of my other newer financial advisors who who really has a passion for the markets and and, and watching you know the, the 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 daily movements. He's kind of doing the execution of the allocations that I've put together. So it's kind of a team effort. Um, I, from a high level view, kind of developed it, and then he looks for you know the right price targets and things like that of when we buy in. Great. Do you guys do all your own billing and trading in-house and everything as far as uploading of the trade files to the custodian and all that? Are you doing all that in-house? We, we do. We, okay. we do, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a real problem, Joel, in, in that I love using vendors and I, I, I love outsourcing things, but I, I kind of have this problem that is, as you get a little bigger and you want to grow and scale, that I want to be able to really control as much of the business as I can in-house. I mean, we can't do everything on our own, but as much as I can control with the process from a service standpoint or an efficiency standpoint, I want to try and do those things in-house. Sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to do that, and we outsource it. But uh, we know that we're going to do a good job at, at doing these types of things and the communication with clients and things like that. So we, we try not to rely on third parties too much for those types of things. Good, 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 good. So let's talk about what do you think, Matt, are the main factors that contributed to your success up to this point? Oh, gosh. You know, last year we, we had a lot of growth, Joel. Um, our business was up, uh, depending on what 
you know, indicator you look at, we were up about 50 to 60 percent last year, uh, which coming into the year, we'd set a goal to be up 25 percent, which was pretty ambitious, I thought. And we actually, you know, blew it out of the park, which was great. I think a big part of it was being part of your program um, and really being able to, to, to get yourself in a position where seeing is believing um, and not having to reinvent the wheel. So, so we've really just tried to implement and, you know, copy, uh, borrow, however we want to call it, as many things as you're doing in your office and try and implement them here in Louisville, Kentucky. I kind of see your vision for what you're doing and my vision for what I'm trying to do are really kind of the same. I would think that you're maybe, I don't know, three or four years in front of me on it, though. So, you know, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can just duplicate what you've done. So really seeing is believing and being part of that group. I I think in this industry it used to be some of the other FMOs that maybe some of us were part of. I always kind of felt like maybe $20 or $25 was was kind of the ceiling. Uh, you know, the, the place, Joel, that I know both you and I were part of for a while, I mean, top two or three producers were always around that level. They, they never really did much more than that. So you kind of look at it and say, okay, well, I guess that's what's possible. Uh, and then you join Advisors XL and get to spend time, you know, with yourself or, you know, Bob Grace and others, and you see, wow, you know, there, there's a lot more potential out there. We need to do everything that we can do to make sure that we're, that we're getting there and fulfilling our potential. So, I really think seeing is believing in being part of that that group. Um, the training that you go through is is wonderful, Joel. But I, I get probably just as much value from just attending those events and going to the cocktail hours or having dinner with you know other advisors and, and hearing from them what's working and what's not working and just seeing others doing much more production than we were doing really just motivated me and kind of took the ceiling off of what's really possible. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I can point to. Uh, in addition to that, uh, last year we did work with uh, Mike Meek and uh, his group where he came in and visited with us uh, early in the year last year, and we implemented the leadership team uh, philosophy that, that he has with a lot of other advisors, and, and that was huge, uh, especially with my travel schedule with the uh, professional race series that I'm in. Uh, I, I'm gone a lot, and I was gone more in 2015 than I had ever been before, but yet we still had the growth that we had. And I don't think that that would have been possible had it not been for the leadership team and uh, getting that implemented. And then probably, you know, the other thing that led to the growth that we had is kind of like I mentioned, was, was trying to become more focused on the assets under management and creating our own in-house portfolios. Uh, that was big. I think for myself, and I have one other advisor that was with me all of last year, I've hired a third one. Um, having something in-house that we were excited about kind of put more of a focus and an emphasis on the managed money that we were maybe just kind of looking over uh, prior to having our own portfolios. So I think that probably those areas are what led to the growth that we had last year. Great. And if we were to go back and, and go back to when you started in the business, you said it was 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. If you could go back and give that person advice today, what advice would you give that Matt Dickon of 19 years ago? I think probably um, making sure that you've got a marketing budget and just try and, and focus and, and put as much money into marketing as you can, um, you know, without going overboard with it. Um, we we didn't really start having any type of growth uh, as a company or getting to higher production levels until we started building that marketing machine. Um, you know, we were doing when we first started the old 
you know, get referrals from everybody that you talk to and trying to grow the business that way, which which you can have some success, but you can't really do anything significant that way. So I, I think focusing on your marketing, finding something and just try and do it better than anybody else in your local marketplace. And then once you start to get kind of good at it, just, just start hitting repeat. Just do it as much as you possibly can uh, until you start building a big enough clientele where maybe if you want to, you can start pulling back on some of those things or, or start to diversify the marketing a little bit. Great. And I know I was just talking to Dustin. Now, Dustin is your is your sort of second um, full-time advisor or your first, your right-hand full-time advisor. Is that fair to say? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. And so I was just talking to him, and I get, you guys are opening up a new office two hours north of where the main office is. So um, I know it's real early, and that's why I think it's awesome to talk about because everybody listening to this podcast is, is certainly interested in growth and new things. And, you know, you all listening here need to understand that sometimes we, we venture out and we figure stuff out as we go. That's how at least the people I've seen in the business that have grown the fastest and have the best practices have grown. So I'm interested if you could share, if you don't mind sharing with us, Matt, your thinking behind opening that new office two hours north, um, what decisions you've made so far, what decisions you're not sure about, maybe you're going to figure out once you get up there. Kind of walk us through that if you could. Yeah, so, you know, we want to grow and expand, and I think we're doing a really good job of of capitalizing, you know, or dominating a marketplace here in Louisville. But in order for us to really reach the production levels that we want to get to down the road, we're going to have to grow in other markets. So, We've tried to identify some other areas close to town that we feel are maybe a little bit underserved or kind of, you know, right for the picking. And I want to first try and grow regionally and try and find locations that from our headquarters in Louisville, if we needed to, we could go to that location and get back home that evening and sleep in your own bed uh, all in one day. So we, we want to make sure that we're not going too far initially to where, you know, you have to get on a plane or something like that. We want to try and stay close to the flagpole. But we want to grow and expand in, in the other markets uh, so we have enough appointments to fill all of the advisors' calendars that we're going to be hiring. You know, we have myself. We have Dustin, who's doing a great job. We have a third advisor, Jordan, who I think is going to be a, a superstar uh, but we have other individuals on the staff that have kind of raised their hand and said, hey, at some point they'd like to be an advisor as well. So we need to take uh, the marketing that we've done in Louisville and start to replicate it and grow and expand it in other markets. So that's what our focus is for 2016, keep doing what we're doing in town, but now start to venture into some other markets and try and replicate and duplicate what's been successful for us here at home. So we're going to start initially you know, with uh, basically just small satellite offices, uh, we won't have any employees there full-time until we gain a lot of traction, and then we'll look to hire uh, somebody to kind of man that storefront, if you will, uh, when we're not there on a daily basis. And we're going to start by uh, uh, dropping our seminars into those markets, and then pretty quickly we're going to drop the TV show uh, into them as well to start trying to help and build credibility and, and you know get, get our name out there and more exposure, things like that. So. The, uh, the the idea is exciting. I'm just trying to replicate what we've done in Louisville, kind of do what you talk about and just create the McDonald's franchise. You know, we have really good processes here at the firm. We're always trying to do better and, and improve them, but we have really good processes, so it's almost like a franchise idea that we're trying to drop into another marketplace. And if we can make that successful, I'm sure that we're going to 
fall down and scrape our knees on a few things. But if we can figure out a recipe and make that successful, then that's something that we obviously could expand not only in other markets regionally, but then go even a little further than that. Um, because I, I, I really, again, you know, seeing is believing. I want to continue to grow and just make our firm and our production as big as we possibly can. And I think if we can prove this concept in other markets, well, then it's just a matter of how many times can you repeat that same thing in other areas across the country. Boy, you said a lot of key things there. And and the reason I like talking about a new market that's being opened up is because, you know, in the Rainmaker Group and certainly listening to this podcast, there are such various levels of production. Forgive my English there, but... You know, we have people that are doing a pretty good amount of business, but it's still totally dependent on them, and maybe their spouse works for them, and they have one assistant, mm-hmm. and they might be struggling to hit a million dollars of revenues. You know, they can kind of see it, but they, they can't quite get there. And uh, and then, of course, there's multimillion-dollar revenue practices, and I don't mean premium and dollars brought in. I mean revenues, cash flow to the firm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's instructive to, to talk about opening up a new market, so maybe we can just spend a couple more minutes on that. So... As I understand it, Matt, what you said is you've identified the, the, the city or the town. You're going to do what is already working, what you know worked in Louisville, which would be seminars and then getting on TV as quick as possible. And as you generate traction, which is a word I love, test and then find out where there's traction and build on that. So as you generate traction, then you'll staff that office up and so on and so forth. Will you duplicate the same seminar model that you do in in Louisville, do you do all the seminar, all your seminars, or does Dustin do some of them? Uh, currently, I do all of them. Dustin did uh, a couple to kind of test it last year, and so coming into this year, um, he's going to take on more of that. So I, I would anticipate with our, our marketing plan, I think he's going to run maybe forty percent of the seminars, and I'll do sixty percent. And in the new market, will you do the seminar? Like, will some people go into a new market and they'll say, well, I've got to do all the new seminars because I'm a little bit better. Or will you just right away start with him or will you do a mix in the new market? Uh, it's interesting that you ask that because actually we're going to try and, and kind of test it both ways. You know, the, the, the one that we're going to go to uh, first, I'm going to go into that market and try and get traction. It's a bigger city. Uh, we have a smaller market that we're going to go into, and, and there we're going to try and just see if we can just drop uh, Dustin in and, and not have me be the person that goes in and gets it going. So uh, I don't know which way is going to work better, so that's why we're trying it both ways. Great. Great. Well, good. So let's talk a little bit. We talked a lot about marketing and your growth this year, which is phenomenal, up 50%. Congratulations. That's 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 really exciting. Are you guys straining a little bit with the – with the processing of the business and the additional service um, that's going to come, obviously, if you bring in lots more new clients than a year or so from now when you're doing those reviews, you know, you might be challenged a little bit. So are you seeing that challenge yet with the increase in business? What what we definitely saw this past year, um, again, we had tried a few different things with marketing right around the time when the market went through its little mini correction or started its volatility and we absolutely exploded with business and we got to a point to where it was really hard to keep up and get it all processed so we've hired two new individuals for the new business customer service department to help us with processing we're we're probably going to add another one or two this year uh because we have big goals we want to have another big growth rate again uh this year so yeah, it, it was a little bit of a growing pain. Again, our, our business plan called for 25% growth, and we were somewhere between 50 and 60. So 
that was a good problem uh, to have. I'll, I'll take that versus not growing, but but it was a little bit of a problem, and so we had to hire some new individuals in to help out and um, kind of pull. I think we pulled one or two people out of another department to to really help with the processing of the paperwork to get us over that big hump. So. What we're trying to do now with going into other marketplaces is go ahead and not wait until we need them. We're going to go ahead and hire the employees now in anticipation for a similar type of growth this year. Yeah, that tends to work. <laughs> that tends to work a little better. I wish yeah, I would do that it, all it, the time. It um, does. Had, had we known we were going to grow the way we did, we would have hired them last year. But I was going to be happy with 25% growth, so we just uh, we just didn't anticipate it. You know, it's interesting because when I look back over my career and then I remember talking to my dad once about big big businesses versus small businesses. And, you know, he said, because for a while I had a Northwestern Mutual contract and then I was with another big insurance company. And I, I told him how different it was than when I started out because, you know, these companies think 10, 15, 20 years out and, and they make decisions today based on where they think they're going to be. And it was really different than the way I started out in this business where you just write as much business as you can and you create this mess behind you and you're always hiring to catch up. And, and I think as we mature as business owners, we get to that point where, you know, what you just said is, hey, if we're confident and we think this is going to work and, you know, there's nothing certain, but we can be pretty darn certain that if we have a system that works, we're going to be able to continue to add value and grow. Then maybe we ought to hire for the company that is six to 12 months or even two years from now as opposed to trying to catch up and um, right. that's uh, right. that's a key and yeah. that's something we can all learn from. Yeah, and I, and I think a big part of that is, is we've gone through the, the, the 10 times um, exercise with the staff and talked about that and that's where uh, now, I, I believe we have on Monday, I think, uh, two new employees that are starting and, and the staff is kind of looking at it and saying, you know, initially before we did the 10 times exercise, they were saying, you know, why are we hiring all these people? You know, yeah, we had a burst of production, but we got caught up and now we're fine. And it, you know, I have to, as the leader of the company, I have to keep reminding them what we're doing now is we're not, we're not building the infrastructure or the staff for the size company that we are now. We're building it for the size company that we believe we're going to become. So rather than maybe repeating the mistakes of the past and getting us into a situation where we feel like we're a little bit overwhelmed, let's, you know, the kind of the you have to build it and they will come type of thing. Sure. Um, Let's get ramped up for it. Uh, But all the while trying to make sure that we do it in a smart way. I mean, one of the things that I've always done, Joel, um, through my entire career, going all the way back to, like you, I started at Northwestern Mutual as well, um, as an intern there with them, um, I've always been really hypersensitive on, on tracking the financials, and I, and I don't have any issues whatsoever of making investments in the company. But you have to be smart about it. You know, you got to make sure that you're not going to put too much strain on the company from a cash flow standpoint, and you got to be strong from a cash standpoint or revenue standpoint before you start venturing out and doing some of those things. So, one of the things that's allowed us to be able to you know, fight back on the production growth and, and make sure that we continue to sustain that and recover from those types of unanticipated uh, stresses that, that come with all the extra production is the fact that we've always maintained very strong profitability. Our, our, our profit margins are very good. It's something I'm very proud of. Um, and it's kept the company very healthy from a cash flow standpoint. As, as we've tested things, some things work, some things don't, but it's never put a strain on the company. That's, that's great. Yeah, and that's so important, and that's important to employees to know, too, because uh, sometimes they don't know. I mean, it's funny. We tried to recruit somebody from ING here, 
and they didn't come to work for us because they they the perception is in some of these when you work for these giant corporations and you don't know any better. I mean, this guy was two years out of college, you know, business school. Um, the perception is that it's much more secure there than it is here. And the reality of is it's probably not because, you know, they'll chop 500 employees tomorrow if, if you know, if the word comes down from on high. Right. But there's a real perception that, uh, gee, my job would be safer. We have to remember that our employees hear this when they go home or when they sit on the, over the holidays with their families is, why do you work for a small company? Wouldn't it be better to work for Aetna or somebody like that, which are some of the big employers in the area? We have to remember to tell our employees how well we're doing. Um, right. You don't have to hide your success. And they also want to know that, hey, if we try this marketing thing, you know, if I, like I'm going, when we get off this podcast, I'm driving down about an hour and a half to look at opening up a new office. My employees need to know that if we open up that new office and it completely fails, that their job is secure because we're mm-hmm. a well-run company. We have reserves. We're, we're very profitable. We have a line of credit. And we want to keep experimenting with things that don't work. And I think it's, we, I think sometimes we forget, not necessarily you, Matt, but I've forgotten in the past, and I think those listening have forgotten that you know we are competing in the marketplace for our employees, and they number one they want us to succeed, but number two they need to know, um, especially with some of our personalities as entrepreneurs, they need to know that there's security and stability. And if you've got a 30, 40, 50 percent profit margin, and you've got money in the bank and the ability to borrow, um, they are very secure, and they need to know mm-hmm. that. Right, and we've even taken it so far, Joel, that um, we've talked about with the staff about business succession that, you know, it's a question that I have, you know, asked all the time from potential clients that, you know, they'll ask the question, well, Matt, what happens to our money if something happens to you? And we all have our typical responses that we give them. But our employees, I found, kind of think the same thing as well. And so we've talked about our succession plan that the company, if something, you know, God forbid were to happen to me, my health or or whatever, uh, the company is going to continue. You know, we have a succession plan in place. Uh, We have key man insurance. There's a life insurance policy on myself for the company. There's a disability insurance policy on myself for the company. So no matter what happens, the company is going to survive. That's something that, again, you know, kind of maintaining the profit margin is just something I, I think that, as business owners, we need to do. Uh, we have a lot of clients that are uh, have have trusted us with their money, uh, but we also have individuals that you know have agreed to take jobs with us or maybe left good-paying jobs to come over to us because they believed in the opportunity. So, I wanted them to make sure that they understood that we've taken precautions that no matter what happens, the company will survive me, um, and that we have plans in place and insurance in place to assure that that happens. Yeah, that's great. And we did a uh, we did an offsite all day offsite just before Christmas, and that question came up from one of our superstar employees, Joel. What happens if something happens to you? And I actually sat and I actually walked through. I said, "Here's the deal: we've got buy sell agreements in place. There's a boatload of life insurance on me that um, you know that protects the company that, that that even allows the company to survive with as much as a fifty to sixty percent production drop. There's there's agreements in place. Uh, um, you know, I'm raising up leaders. We also went with Mike Meek's uh, team leader or working leaders program so that, uh, you know, I'm not nearly as involved in the hands-on management. So 
um, I think that's really important. And, and it's fun. It's kind of fun when you get to get up in the morning and say, what would I like to do today instead of I've got to get in and see 17 appointments and then, you know, right. in addition to that, go do a seminar and then I'm going to be up till 1 o'clock doing my pre- prep work for tomorrow. So right. um, it's right. a great place to be in. And I think as we mature, I think it's really important. And it's something that it's lacking in our business. There's a lot of financial advisors that, number one, their business certainly wouldn't survive them. But number two, they don't have the insurances and, and the succession plans in place so that even if, there were, if, if their business could survive them, that there's no plan. So I'm glad right. you brought that up. Tell me, you've got this money management operation. Do you keep that sort of separate? And I don't mean legally separate, but from a staffing standpoint, do you sort of have the staff that processes the annuities and then also the staff that processes the managed money? Or does the same staff process both pieces of business and you sort of do it based on the client? I don't know yeah, if I asked that question it, clearly. Yeah, yeah. It's we we tried it initially. Uh, different individuals uh, working in those separate areas. So we had the kind of like the annuity team and the managed money team. And I just found that that wasn't that efficient. There were there was communication issues, and um, really from a client standpoint, they were confused. They, they they didn't know who they went to for what. So we we stopped that, and now. You know, whoever uh, processes the business remains with that client as their service person, and it doesn't matter whether it's annuity or, or managed money, um, as far as the client is concerned. Now, but, you know, in, in, in behind our closed doors, then, yeah, we've divvied up some of those responsibilities. But as far as the client is concerned, it's just one person, and that's who they go to. So we've tried it both ways, and I think the way that we're doing it now is, is better. The clients seem happier, and the employees have gotten out of this well, you know, let me take it so far, but now that's not my job. That's so-and-so's job. They need to help you with that. You know, we, we've eliminated that. <clears throat> yeah, we had the same exact issue. We had the people processing the managed money and people processing the annuities, and what would happen is the managed money would come into the account, and then now half of it's supposed to go to an annuity, and that would fall through the cracks. And, uh, yeah, so we went back to the model that you're – or went to the model that you're describing and it it does seem to work so much better and then when somebody gets behind because we're just having a huge month or a huge quarter then we can bring in somebody else to backfill on the work behind the scenes but we've made it very clear that you know Donna owns that client and is responsible for everything and if she passes off a piece of work for somebody else to help her with she's still responsible for that piece of work being done. There's none of this. Um, well, I gave it to Laura and she didn't process it. So it seems to work a, a lot better for us. I got it out of the PNC model. When I call my PNC agency, whether it's home, auto, or you know whatever I might be dealing with, I have one key go-to person that really has gotten to know me, and I think that works a lot better. Right, right. And, and if you do that, then your staff also, they, they get to know those clients and there are certain nuances and who's, you know, don't call that one in the morning, call them in the afternoon type of thing. They, right. they kind of learn exactly. the staff as well and it's easier on them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. oh, boy, we could go a lot of places with that morning and <laughs> afternoon thing. Yeah. So, um, and and the, the Matt, how long does it take you to process your billing um, on your managed, do you do do you bill quarterly or monthly? Uh, we do it quarterly, and um, we've we've got a process that it takes us, I think, maybe two or three days total to get everything done. Okay. Um, 
so that's yeah, processing it, putting together. Here in Kentucky, we have to send invoices out to all the clients, even though it shows up on their custodian statement. We still have to mail them one or email it. So mm-hmm. to get everything processed is probably two or three days. It, it, it used to take us a lot longer, uh, but we've in, improved the process and the efficiencies there. So now it's it's not too big of a deal. And is the same person that's doing that work or responsible for that work also the same person that when you make a trade in a model executes all those trades and all that? Nope. Is it? Nope. It's actually it's, it's it's two different individuals because the uh, the one that I have that that's helping execute the trades is a, a licensed financial advisor. Okay. Um, so obviously we want him focused on you know meeting with clients and managing the money. So one of our customer service individuals handles the billing. Okay. Great. <laughs> Excellent. So, Matt, if we were talking three years from today, um, so here we are, what, January 14th, 2019. Holy smokes. Um, January 14th, 2019, and you're looking back over the last three years, what kind of things would have to have happened for you to be happy with your progress? Um, well, I, I think, you know, obviously we, we would in three years hopefully be able to double what we just did this past year. Um, so production should be more than double. I would want to be in probably two or three different marketplaces where we've gained traction and we have actual offices uh, staffed with employees there. And I, I, I want to be like you, Joel. I, I want to get into a situation where I'm not doing anything other than just doing you know, the lead generation for the firm. I, I want to go do my TV show and do some seminars, not all of them. Uh, you know, do interviews on the news, write books, things like that, and just feed the financial advisors as many leads as we possibly can. So that, that's what we're really trying to, to work towards um, and just get myself more to where I have the freedom to focus on the things that I want to focus on. I, I think probably one of the best things that Advisors Excel has done is, is have, you know, Mike Meek and Jenna Rainey available to us because when he came in and uh, helped us implement the leadership team this past year. It was almost like a light switch in my mind that I was thinking, okay, finally, here, here's how you do it. Um, I'm very passionate about the business, but I'm also very passionate about racing. And, and the downside on that is it, it just it commands a lot of time. I mean, you just you, you burn down a tremendous amount of time. And if we didn't have the leadership team in place, well, there's there's no way we could have had the growth and had the success like we had this past year with me being gone as much as I was. So I want to continue to try and, and have my leadership team take over more and more things that I'm still involved in and get it to a point to where I just really have to focus on the things, only the, the things that I want to focus on. We, we've done a good job of eliminating a lot of those tasks that someone else can do for me, but obviously you know, we've had the leadership team for a little less than a year, so we're not all the way there. So that uh, certainly three years from now we want to be bigger than what we are, proven our concept in other markets, but then also have me in a position where I'm not involved in really anything day-to-day, and all I do is uh, generate leads. Great. Awesome. Well, Matt, hey, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been inspirational for me personally, so I know it has for our listeners. Uh, it's exciting to hear that 50% growth is possible, and you still have time to actually show up at a podcast on time. Uh, I remember a day when I was so harried that if I had a time commitment and um, there was some emergency going on, I would just blow off whatever time commitment I had, and we don't have to live that way anymore. So, um, But uh, we really look forward to seeing you know what you're going to do um, this next year in 2016. And and keep us posted. There's a lot of opportunities. you know. We have in this Rainmaker group just tremendous opportunities for, to learn from each other, guys. And 
and uh, you know, ask Matt next time you see him, how's that new office going, or how's the uh, you know, how's the development of the leadership team going? What kind of things are you doing to develop your leadership team? Ask him. I mean, he, he told you what, where he's going. And, you know, I firmly believe he'll easily double his business um, every three years, if not, if not quicker than that. And so we can watch people and learn from their successes and mistakes. So thanks so much for your time today, Matt. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I, I appreciate you having me on, Joel. Anytime that you'd like me to, to come on and do it again, just, just ask. I'm happy to share anything that I can. Great. Well, thank you so much, Matt, and uh, everyone out there in uh, podcast land. Have a great day. Um, play this over and over again. You might want to play it for your staff, too. Uh, there's a lot of benefit that comes from sharing the exercises that we do in the group and also from, uh, from the informational things like this podcast and some of the videos um, with your teams. So thanks again, and this is Joel Johnson signing off.